This is HiFam. I'm Avital. Family togetherness is disintegrating. Family culture is a lost art. Family leadership is a lost skill. And the sense of belonging to a family is a lost way of life. Today, we're going to explore why that's happening and what we can do about it. So before we begin, I want to share my own bias in this regard. I need to tell you that I believe that people can change and improve and heal ruptures in their relationships. And I believe that because I am one of the lucky few who saw that at home. When I was nine years old, my mother came to me with tears streaking down her cheeks and told me that she and my father would be getting a divorce. And this didn't come as a surprise to me when I was nine because they had been fighting a lot. Well, my parents didn't end up getting a divorce. Instead, they ended up getting to work. And I'm so grateful to them because they made it work. Not just a staying together for the kids kind of way, but in a real way, in an authentic relationship that is meaningful and fulfilling and satisfying to them. In fact, they've just spent 10 days together in Alaska in a camper van. I mean, you don't choose to lock yourself in a camper van with someone for 10 days when you're 75 unless you absolutely want to. They have a really romantic relationship today. They drink wine together in the evening. They watch Netflix and they revel and take joy and pride in the life that they've built, in the things they've overcome and in their children, grandchildren and great grandchildren. So the model that I had growing up, and I know I'm very privileged and lucky to have this and most perhaps people don't, was that marriage is worth fighting for, that people can change, that when you really put in the effort and the work and prioritize your relationship, you can make it last and that it's worth it. I also have to share another bias, which is that I grew up in a Jewish Orthodox religious home and we're still Orthodox Jews in my own home and I'm raising my children in the same fold. And so I've been blessed to grow up in an ancient tradition. This is a 3,500 year old tradition where family is the most important aspect of a person's life. So many of the rituals, of the commandments, of the scriptures, of the blessings, of the activities that we do in the realm of Jewish orthodoxy is about stitching the generations together, is about respecting your elders, is about maintaining the sanctity, if you like, of family life, of marriage, of the parent-child bond. So much of what we do is about bringing families together, closer, stronger, keeping marriages passionate, keeping the relationship between the family members healthy and vibrant. And so that's another bias I have because I absolutely believe that family is the most important project in my life and in most people's lives. And it's the place where I reap the most meaning and the most drive and the most ambition and feel the greatest sense of mission. And so those are my biases. <laughs> that's where I come from. And I know that so many people have not grown up with these things and that so many people don't value them or don't see them as possible or conducive to modern life. Perhaps just even imagine them as something that might be attainable. So now that I've shared that little behind the scenes, I want to talk about what I think is disintegrating our families. Why are families breaking? And what do I mean when I say families are breaking? Well, I mean that there's a growing sense of distance. I mean that parents have less and less influence over their children, that parents are less able to hold boundaries, set expectations, to maintain close relationships. 
People are much more likely to move far away from their parents when they become adults. People are much more likely to cut ties with their parents if they don't love the way their parents operate or don't like their parents' opinions. We've seen a great polarization politically, religiously, all sorts of polarized stances where people are cutting ties with close family members over things that they disagree with. Again, back to my biases, I come from a culture that encourages disagreement, that encourages debate and arguments, and that you still maintain close relationships with the people that you disagree with. And so this is something that I find particularly disturbing, as though if I disagree with someone, I can't still love them. I can't still be in close, intimate circles with them. I can't still trust them. We see a lot of different things that are leading to this. So let's just break down three of the main things that I'm seeing. One of them is the rise in tech, right? The rise in tech and these addictive little machines that we all have in our pockets and the dopamine hits that we get from that and the constant draw. You know, I took a long break off of social media. And the moment that I came back, whilst I was so happy to reconnect with people on Instagram and YouTube, et cetera, it really messes with my brain. It pings me and I feel like compelled to check if someone's responded, if I need to answer something, if something's catching like wildfire that I need to take care of. And this social media rise, this tech, you know, even just email, it has seeped into our family life and it has taken us away from the focus and the presence that one might expect in our most intimate relationships. It makes it very difficult for us to listen to each other, to just spend time with each other. So back to that ancient tradition I'm part of, one of the things that Orthodox Jews do is that we take a Sabbath every weekend. We take a 25-hour rest, and that rest involves no tech. It's one of the reasons that I'm still committed to this is because, wow, that's such a gift to my family. I find it tremendously difficult to move my husband and I, divert our eyes away from the draw of the screen and into the real room that we're in with our children. I think that's a really big issue that's really tearing marriages apart. I mean, how many of you go to bed at night with your phones in your bed and your partner's on their phone in their bed and you are not turned towards each other because there's something more interesting on the phone? How many of you are watching things? Like, say you used to watch a movie together in the evening. Okay, but now you watch separate things because you like different shows, right? This ultra separate experience that we're all in this virtual world, but we're all in our own tailor-made algorithmic virtual world that is exactly suited to us and not even including our most intimate family members, how much of that is really tearing us apart in, inside our family and disintegrating our family? This leads directly into the second thing, which is our work. You know, people work longer hours than they used to overall. Mothers are now in the workplace where they didn't used to be, right? And this has its pros and it also has its cons. And its cons are that our achievements and our successes and our advancement at work, whilst important and valuable, does sometimes, often, come at the expense of our family relationships. We see this in the discussions over maternity and paternity leaves, uh, the differences between different countries or different states and how they relate to the laws around parenting and work. The work-life balance keeps taking these swings, these polarizing swings and, and these hits, really. It links back to what I was saying earlier about tech, where we bring our work home, where we're always available to our bosses on email. I think it was France that recently instated a law that you're not allowed to communicate with an employee after work hours unless that's explicitly agreed upon in the contract. And I guess this law is a reaction to the sense that work has seeped into our you know, intimate corners and we are no longer able to maintain close marriages and close bonds with our children because work is monopolizing us. Work is always there. 
I think the, you know, the fact that, for example, women are now in the workplace over the last, you know, call it 100 years, you know, maybe slightly less, the rise in women's expectations of themselves and others' expectations of us in terms of what we achieve in our careers, alongside what we achieve in our family, is a source of great tension and great difficulty. It really makes us question where our value is. And if we're not getting paid, if we're not getting the paycheck or the promotion or the adagal that one might get from doing good work, then it can sometimes even be less rewarding to advance and to promote ourselves and to work hard and to master the realm of family. Family life is so it's such a long game. It's such a long-term investment. There isn't that instant gratification that you get from the paycheck or from the from the praise that you might get at work, the promotion, that it can sometimes feel like, I don't want to show up there. I don't want to invest there. It's too hard. My toddler throws tantrums. My baby is up at night. My teenager talks back to me. You know, I just don't feel like acing that at work. I can dress nicely and show up well and get paid and be celebrated. And it's so much easier in some regards to succeed at work than it is to succeed at family. And in some ways, the stakes are so much lower at work. You know, if you lose your job, it's a hit, but you'll go out and find another job. If you lose your marriage, if you lose your connection with your kids, the stakes are so much higher and therefore it it inhibits us. It, It freaks us out. It makes us just kind of give up before we've begun so that we don't get hurt. The feeling of really, really investing at parenting and at marriage and then somehow not succeeding is really, really scary. And I think many of us just know that we'll succeed if we put our best foot forward at work. And so we'd rather put our energy there where we know that we'll get a win. It's hard to get a win in family life sometimes. Then it's 24-7, right? As much as work has seeped into our life, there is still some semblance of boundaries of separation. But family life is not like that. Family life wakes you up in the middle of the night. Family life sees you at your worst. It doesn't give you that out of presenting really well, of ending the day, of, you know, thank God it's Friday, now it's the weekend, right? When you're a parent, there is no thank God it's Friday because your job has just begun. The intensity of the weekend is about to hit you now. So I think we escape to work, even though work can be meaningful, can be important, and most of us just have to work. That's just how we have to live our lives. We also escape there a little bit. And you know this, you know the cliche of the new mom who is struggling. Maybe she has postpartum depression. Maybe she's exhausted. Maybe she's on edge and she is having such a hard time with her baby that she's become snappy and she's become short and she just needs support. And that's just the moment that her husband decides to spend longer and longer hours at work. And why, right? When we look at this in depth, first of all, you know, sure, baby, more expenses, got to make more money, got to hustle harder at work. Okay. That's one aspect of it. But the other aspect of it is it's not fun at home. It's really hard at home. (laughs) His wife is moody and cranky and critical and she's not herself. And she's been completely monopolized by the baby who of course he loves, but he has no clue and he doesn't know what to do with the baby and he doesn't know how to please his wife. And she's constantly upset and she's also besotted with the baby and not with him anymore. She's irritated with him. And because she's besotted with the baby, he's not sure he, he's found his place and he doesn't want to just be a gopher. And even when he is a gopher, he doesn't seem to do it right. And she seems to be angry. And so he better just double down at what he knows. He better go and stay longer and hustle harder at work because there at least he can be useful. There at least he can be successful. There at least he can be a contributor to his family in some meaningful way and not constantly feel like a failure. 
I know this is a cliche and a stereotype, and I know that I'm leaning hard on gender norms, but this is something I hear from my clients. This is something I experience myself. This is something that I know is happening. And maybe it's not exactly what's happening in your home, but maybe something similar happened, right? Or is happening. And the sense that work is an escape route, that work is a place where we can succeed better. And at least we're doing something productive, yeah, right? We're making money, so that's good. Or we're doing some meaningful work and that's good. So it becomes an escape route and it takes us away from the harder and perhaps more meaningful work of being great at family. Many people, and I do know a lot of people like this, will literally sacrifice their family ties. They'll be willing to face divorce. They'll be willing to be estranged from their children to make their millions or to succeed at their job. And no wonder, (laughs) family is really hard to get right. Most of us didn't see it from home. Most of us don't have the first clue. We're not being sent to offsites. We're not getting training. We don't have a boss telling us what to do. It's all up to us. It's all down to us. It's completely overwhelming. It's completely unclear. The steps aren't there. No wonder. Hey, we'll be right back to the show, but real quick, I need to ask you, Do you want to know how I kept my day job, started a side hustle, and built my business from scratch while birthing, feeding, raising, and schooling my five children at home? Well, there are many things that go into it, but the key that made the most difference by far is that my children play independently for hours at a time. No, they are not unicorn children. There's nothing special about them, although they are special to me. All children are designed to play independently for hours a day. Yeah, even yours. But in our culture, play has been stolen, which is tragic because play is so good for kids and also such a breather for us adults. If your child is clinging, reliant on screens or on you for entertainment, you need to check out my new free masterclass, How to Transform Your Home into a Play-Inducing Haven. In it, I will break down how to get your child playing independently with the play zones that every child needs. Go to reclaimplay.com forward slash haven. Okay, back to the show. And this leads me to the last and final point that I'll make here about why I think family is disintegrating, and that is about individualism. There has been a very strong rise in individualism, perhaps since the emancipation, perhaps since the enlightenment. I'm not here to give you a history lesson and I'm not equipped to do so, but We've really moved in Western society from collectivism to individualism. We've moved to a place that values the individual above all else. I am a huge fan of Yoenmi Park, who is a North Korean defector, and she wrote an incredible book about her escape. And she spoke about her shock in arriving in America, or even in South Korea before that, and learning that someone might ask her what her favorite color is. She said, In North Korea, there was never such a concept as what I liked. The country, the government told me, the dear leader told me that red was my favorite color because that was the revolutionary color. Just the idea of having something that is unique to you, that defines you, that you like, is completely foreign in a collectivist society. In Western society, we put a huge emphasis on the individual, and I think that is an amazing thing. I am a fan. I absolutely believe that taking individual responsibility for our life, right? Pointing to the individual, the idea that you don't punish children for the sins of their fathers, the idea that we are responsible for ourselves, the idea that we can break free of group identities and rise above the expectations or the stereotypes that might have held us back. I absolutely believe in individualism. So I want to get that out really loud and clear. And with that, individualism can be taken too far. 
after all, we are social creatures. After all, we do need to belong to a group. In an evolutionary sense, we need the group to survive. And we need reciprocity. And we need giving. And reciprocity is what has allowed humans to develop so rapidly and rise above all other animals in terms of our development and in terms of our abilities. Because we are able to reciprocate. We are able to do teamwork. We are able to say, well, I'll gather you know, a bunch of bananas today and you'll enjoy them. And then you'll gather some tomorrow and then I'll enjoy them. I can share my tips and tricks and hacks with you and you'll share yours with me. So I don't have to learn everything from scratch. I don't have to do everything alone because I'm part of a group and we can pool our insights, our innovations, our understandings. And that way we can all catapult forward much, much, much quicker. It's the idea that if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. I think we are losing the balance between individualism and collectivism. And again, I'm not for a collectivist society. I am not a socialist. I am not a communist. I am not looking to start a kibbutz. That is not my goal. But I do believe in togetherness. I do believe in community. I do believe in reciprocity. I do believe in belonging. Do you believe that there are times and places where we need to suppress a little bit or sacrifice a little bit of our individual goals and ambition and drive? At the expense of our individuality, we will gain connection, belonging, being part of something that is bigger than ourselves. I recently heard the movie star Emma Watson share that she is not single, she is self-coupled. And she spoke about marrying herself, being in a relationship with herself. And it struck me as fascinating and really indicative of this individualistic society that we're in. Of course, self-coupling is easier and more pleasurable and more aligned with you because you are you. And if it's just you with you, then you don't have to contend with other people's needs and desires and drives and ambitions and wants. There are no clashes. You get to just self-pleasure and just self-express and self-actualize. And those things are good things. But when they aren't able to come in the context of relationships, I think we've taken it a blush too far. I believe that we need to bring back the idea that, no, your needs, ambitions, drives, goals, and wants are not the only interesting thing. Yoenmi Park had never been asked what her favorite color is. I'm not suggesting we go that far. I think we care deeply about what each member of our group, of our, of our family wants and their needs and their individual rights and their individual expression and actualization. That's all important. And so is the fact that you are part of a family and we need to take the family's needs into consideration as a holistic unit, as a whole, right? Because you say wanting to go to professional soccer like the advanced soccer group. Well, maybe that's what's best for you. And maybe we can swing it. Or maybe it will put our entire family under way too much pressure. We'll be spending too much time in the car. It will be too expensive. It will come at the expense of family dinners or the fact that we need to do work that afternoon or something else. And so maybe we can't do that. Even though as an individual, that would be what's best for you. As a member of a family, that would not be what's best for you because it would put the entire family network under strain. Things that are good for our children, but are not good for our family, are actually not good for our children. Even if you think it would be best for your child to go to that private school, if that's going to put your family under tremendous pressure, then that's not good for your child. Your child needs a family that is healthy, a family that is connected, 
a family that has togetherness. Even if a certain class would be great for that individual child, but it means schlepping all the other children along or putting a family under strain, that's not good for that child because you'll all build a tiny little bit of resentment towards them and a lot of pressure around it and a lot of stress. And actually what would be better for them is having a family dinner together, is sitting around and breaking bread. At High Fam, I'm really interested in blending ancient wisdom with modern living. And here's one of those pieces. We need to bring back a little bit of the idea that put your own gratification on hold for what's best for the group. Sometimes, not always. And of course, we strive to allow individual expression and all of that stuff is good. We'll see you as an individual, okay? You don't all have to match. You don't all have to do the exact same thing. We're going to try and let each person flourish and thrive in their own unique way. Absolutely. But we also see you as part of something that's bigger than yourself. And I want to say that I think that that is a protective element for children. Children and adults need to feel that they are part of something that's bigger than just them. They need that sense of belonging. They need that sense that it's not just about me. It's not just about my own narcissistic needs. It's also about the group. And I think that's really good for them. When children feel that everything is all about them, it's too much pressure on them. It's too much navel gazing. It's too much focus on me, me, me. I want to raise my children to be aware of the family, to be aware of us together, to lead them in the fact that we have family values. We have a way of life. We have things that we do in our family and things that we don't do in our family, things that we allow and things that we don't allow, things that we encourage and believe in and things that we discourage and don't believe in. And I believe that that kind of formation of clear, compelling conviction in parenting, that's lost. I believe that parents don't feel much of the time that they are the leaders, that they set the tone, that just like a CEO creates an incredible culture in their company, we need to create an incredible culture in our family. And that just like a CEO doesn't look at each individual worker, employee and say, oh, this is all about you, you thriving, you moving forward, you shining, you getting a promotion. Those things are great. And sure, those are things that could happen. But no, this is all about the company doing well, the company advancing. I want to bring that back into our family because families are broken and they are crumbling. And instead of allowing that to happen, you as the leader are here to build a legacy. Now, you might be thinking, Avital, that's all great, but I did not come from a strong family culture. I did not come from this ancient culture of family rituals and family togetherness. I did not come from a home that modeled that. Maybe I come from a broken home. Maybe my parents got divorced. Maybe I was raised in a single parent family. Maybe I have no idea how to do this. Or maybe right now my family is somewhat broken or somewhat disconnected or on its way there. Maybe my marriage feels like it's breaking. Maybe I was never married to begin with. Maybe our family just does not have that togetherness factor. We're all on our phones. We're all doing our separate things. We're all just going our separate ways. What's the point of all of this to begin with? And why should I even do it? And can I even do it? And I'm here to tell you that you can. I'm here to tell you that just like planting a tree, maybe the best time to start was 10 years ago, but the second best time to start is right now. Maybe the best time for building a strong, unbreakable family was a generation ago or two or three, but the second best time is right now. You get to disrupt the generational patterns. You get to be the leader that forms and creates and establishes a strong legacy, a powerful family culture that your children want to be a part of, that feel belonging in. And I want you to ask yourself, 
What will be lost if you don't reclaim that? What will be lost if you don't build togetherness? Why did you come together in the first place? Why did you have a child in the first place? It wasn't for everyone to just go off and live their lives. There was a meaning to the bonds that you have. There was a meaning to all that bonding that you did with your baby. There was a meaning to all that falling in love that you did with your partner. There was a meaning to the origin story of your family. What will be lost if you don't reclaim it? Well, let's think what togetherness actually is supposed to look like. If you haven't seen it, if you haven't experienced the magic of belonging, of feeling safe and secure and stable in a loving network of people who have lifelong commitments to each other, I want to paint that picture for you. When you are part of a family that is strong, that has a strong family culture, a strong family character, where there's clarity around the family mission, where we understand what the family is actually doing in their lives. What is the family about? Who are these people? What is their culture? Where do they belong? How do they treat each other, right? These are things that are all the elements of your family culture. When you have that, then your children are gonna feel safe and secure. They're gonna have an incredible springboard for the rest of their life because they know they have people that they can rely on, that they can fall back on. And that's really meaningful because when you think about your child facing challenges in the future, even in the near future, maybe they get a little bit teased or even bullied. Maybe they face issues like being tempted by drugs or teen pregnancy or a car crash, God forbid. Or maybe they're just struggling with their grades at school or unsure what to do after school or having challenges with their professor in college or in trouble somehow. You want your child to know they can come to you. You want your home to be a place of rest and reprieve. You want your home to be their sanctuary, right? Their escape, their place where they come to refuel, their place where they come to retreat, the place where they get good advice. You want your children to want to come back for a weekend, to come back to celebrate Christmas with you, or to come back and have you be a major part of their big life events. You want them to want for you to come with them to choose their bride's dress, for example, or to come with them to a doctor's appointment that they really need some support on. And by the way, yes, you also want your children to come with you to those events. You want your children to be there for you in your old age. I know we don't have children, so we have someone to take care of us when we grow old, but that would be very nice, wouldn't it? That would be very meaningful, wouldn't it? If they still wanted to stick around and support us in our old age as well. I know that for me, that's one of the greatest points of meaning and pride in my life is that my husband and I are committed to being there for our parents in their old age. That's something that we want for our children, that we want them to feel that intergenerational commitment, duty, connection, love, respect. Maybe you even want your child to hopefully want to live somewhere kind of near you or to visit kind of often, right? You want your marriage, if you have one, or your future marriage, please God, to last you through to old age. You want your children to respect and admire you as a guide and a confidant, someone that they can trust with their secrets, trust with their challenges. You want to be reaping the pride and satisfaction of family when you are growing older. You want to be able to lean on each other when times get tough. These are the things that build up family togetherness. And of course, the joy, laughing. I mean, you never laugh like you laugh with a sibling, right? With someone who knows you really, really well. Having that kind of laughter with your children, the inside jokes, 
the things that we do, the quirks, you know, supporting each other, having fun together, having someone to celebrate holidays with, or help with a new baby, or help with the diagnosis. That is what family togetherness is about. So how can we take the ancient culture of strong families, right? The ancient rituals, the mindsets that build those unbreakable families and make it relevant in the modern world that places zero value on family, that is willing to kind of throw it out at the altar of work or social media or just individualism. That's what you're here for. That is what you are here to do. You are here to be the glue. Be the glue that bonds your family together. Be the person that picks this up and says, I'm not going to let this go. Be the one who initiates. Be the one who expects. Be the one who invests. Be the one who stays. Be the one who stays through thick and thin. Be the one who says, nothing will break us. Together we are strong. Together we will figure this out. Be the one who takes it up, who shoulders it, who lifts it, who works it, who leads it. That's what you're here for. That's what I'm here for. The countercultural rituals and mindsets that build an unbreakable family are exactly what we're here to discover together. You can do this. You can be that person who won't take no for an answer, who's relentlessly committed who's showing up day in, day out, no matter what, who keeps coming back and who above all repairs when things break. The only real difference between families that get broken and families who are unbreakable is that in families that are unbreakable, someone is the glue. Someone is there making sure that you glue things back together. There will always be conflict. There will always be moments of breakage right? The cracks. There will be those moments where you just hate each other, where you just need a break, where you let each other down, where you were not fair to each other, where you hurt each other, perhaps pretty badly. But if you could be the glue, if you can say, you know what? I'm not waiting for anyone else to do this. I'm not waiting for my husband. I'm not waiting for my children. I'm not waiting for my mother. I'm not waiting for someone else to say, come on, Let's be together. Let's care about each other. Let's love each other well. Let's treat each other well. Let's be a great family. Let's create a great sense of belonging and togetherness. I'm not waiting for anyone else to do that. They'll follow me. They will. They'll be the glue as well. Don't worry. But you be the first one to start sticking it back together. Each time, each time there's a little tear, you sew it back, you mend it, you stitch it, you patch it up, and you don't let it break. Let's keep having the important conversations. If you found yourself agreeing emphatically or disagreeing completely, that's okay. Use this as an opportunity to build these conversations in your own family. It could be with yourself or with your partner and even with your children where it's relevant. And if you want to support the show, please rate and leave a review. And most importantly, share it with someone who is also trying to build an unbreakable family.